0: So last week, uh, I was a bit worried that we were being a bit self-indulgent by uh, by having an episode about ourselves. Yes, well, it's a podcast, there. And um, nothing that's happened in the past week has done anything to disabuse me of that notion. Nah, except, I should say, thank thanks. you to yeah. all the listeners for um, for like really positive feedback about it. It's yeah, lovely. thank you. And, um, when we were recording it, 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 it I, I remember thinking at the time that it was terribly self-indulgent and then when i listen back to it i was like actually it, it, that may be the case but it's also quite nice to have a chance to really try and dig into some of that stuff mm-hmm. that we talked about and yeah. so it was lovely so thanks again to jerry mccaig for coming in and doing that yeah legend great. thanks man yeah um and i went to bed that night with sailing southwards from Rathlin island rolling around in my head i felt like i was on a boat i once got a boat to Rathlin um, to play at a Keely, me and Tony Murray, and a couple of girls who we used to sing with, Margaret McShane, and I think it was Clodagh Murray, uh, Tony's sister at the school, like I was about 15 or 16, then. Yeah. had a brilliant night playing this Kaylee. And um, it was like a wee moment of just. Oh, this must be what it's like if you're a musician, right? You yes. just kind of you go in this boat and yeah, people are there to meet you and you go up the hall and you play and you get put up in a B and B yeah.
1: and you get free fish and chips and
0: it was bloody brilliant. Brilliant.
1: The other uh, uh it's similar but very different thoughts last <laughs> night. So one of my favourite comedies I watched a few years ago. So there's a few seasons of it. It's called People Just Do Nothing and it, it's about a London pirate radio station. It's kind of that mockumentary in kind of a little bit of the style of the office, that style comedy. So it's two best mates, they run a part radio station, it's all this like UK garage playing, one's a DJ, one's an MC, and they just take it way too seriously and <laughs> they have this crowd following them. So let's say three years ago when I devoured that show, and that is my favourite thing I've ever seen. I love one of my favourite things is to rewatch a show, and I like like sticking it on my phone and headphones uh-huh. in, and I fall asleep to it because I fall asleep to TV, it just shuts my brain down. So the last few days, I've been re-watching people just do nothing. But now I create a podcast. <laughs> and it's very hard not to see myself. It, it, and it's just, it's horrible. So now I tried to do that last night, I and I know. stuck on an episode. And uh, they oh, they ran a competition where they come up with a question live on air. I was like, what's Grandi's original uh, MC name? And someone had to ring in to get the prize and then they make too much of it when the guy comes to collect his prize and like your man grind their hinds in the back of a van he jumps out in this like parking lot and he's like oh look at him isn't he loving it he's loving meeting us and all this stuff and then he goes back home and he sits down the couch and he's like oh you know you're just meeting a fan yeah and I was like it's draining isn't it I, w- I could feel the blood rushing up around the sides of my neck and into my ears I was so embarrassed <laughs> what are you doing having it full episode about yourself
0: All that to say, thanks again to everybody for listening to it and giving us such a lovely um, feedback about it. It was brilliant and we really enjoyed it and we won't be doing
1: it again for another 200 episodes. So, today's guest. Today's guest is Liam Bailey. So, Liam is based out of North Carolina in the US. Um, Lovely fella. I I followed Liam for a while on Instagram and I've kind of known more from his Americana songwriting and i actually didn't realize how much interest he had in irish music and what role that played in his life anyway we've got talking we kind of said let's actually sit down and have a chat about it in that meantime then too i'd heard this other interview we did on another podcast completely um unrelated and i'll put a show on the, i'll put a link in the show notes and uh for that it's a uh, really interesting stuff anyhow I think you're really going to enjoy this. Liam, he's a much better player than he, I think he would have let on on the phone with me. And I love this chat. We get into some really interesting areas in here. I think a lot of stuff that myself and Dom obviously resonate with us.
0: Yeah, and I, I think of it as um, perhaps one of those um, slight detours that we like to take from time to time that actually enriches the
1: overall mm-hmm. enjoyment of the journey. That's the school bell gone in the background. That's the bell for the call out for Patreon. So the format for what me and Dom are doing here is staying the same it's still a free podcast and some of you are legendary enough to put your hand in your pocket and chip in and pay us for the work that we do so first of all like when i say thank you thank you to our current patrons you are the ones at this stage making it possible and not just possible like you're the reason that we show up each week knowing that you know this this thing is working if you are back again for another week and you can possibly afford to help out to chip in, please do head over to patreon.com forward slash Bellarney Pilgrims. If you're not in the situation to chip in and we get it, not a lot of people aren't, share us around, tell a friend. Um You know what we would really, really, really help need is leave some st- um, stars or reviews on whatever podcast app that you use. Um share the website around share facebook around check us out on instagram um, check us out wherever all that stuff helps get us in front of new people the more people that we have listening to us the same percentage of listeners will see the beauty in it and help actually make it go forward so with all that said i think let's get into this cracking chat and music with lean bailey all right away we go enjoy Liam Bailey, welcome
2: to the Baloney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Dom and Darren. Uh, <laughs> what did we just hear there? Um, that was Castle Kelly's, which is an old uh, tune. And then there was um, a tune called Brailedian that I like uh, because I'm into modes and it's new. I'm very into some of the new compositions. I love the old ones. I love the new ones. I know there's a connection there of course, but um, those are both modal tunes and modal tunes are what catch my ear. Uh, that was uh, the second one was John McSherry wrote that mm-hmm. one, and uh, I think he recorded it on a record that he did with Bra- Bob Roseman called Six Days in Down," and he also recorded it on another project that I can't remember. Uh, but yeah that's an original original fiddle tune and of course the first one was castle kelly's which to me um never needs to be played faster than that there's something just deep and stoic about that energy i really so.
1: enjoyed that version that was that was nice
2: deep and stoic you know that's um
0: it's funny you should say that about playing castle kelly's fast because that's one of the few tunes that i actually can play fast
3: <laughs> <laughs> <So> I, <laughs>
0: yeah it rolls off the fingers yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's 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 funny. There's certain. I mean, I've, I think I've mentioned this before that, like, for me as a as a sort of mid range whistle player, on a good day, right? <clears throat> there's certain shapes that run off quite easily, mm-hmm. and um, those A minor shapes that you have there in that tune seem to seem to kind of fall quite naturally. Where there's other others that don't, you know. So yeah, they really
2: sit nicely on the fiddle too. But I, you know, there's I. I'm sure we're going to have more conversations of, about this. But the uh, the speed at which the tunes are played is such a fickle and particular thing. And I think that the most important thing is not whether you're playing them fast or playing them slow, but having the ability to kind of adjust the tempo to fit the situation that you're presenting the tune in. And I've found that sometimes it's difficult to play something fast. Um, but if it's the right time, then it 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 kind of comes under your fingers when you need it. Uh, slow can be a little bit trickier. I don't know. I think we've all had that feeling with tunes that's like somebody's playing it a little slow, and you're nudging them to go faster because you're saying, you know, you're saying like, you know, I can play. I can I can play this tune fast. I can't do it slow. I can play if we go faster, but it's it's tough for me slow. Which is kind of to me translates to. I can drive a little bit better when I'm drunk, I guess, because <laughs> <laughs> because there is that idea. It's like, no, I need to be out of control to feel like I'm in control of this thing. And I think the one of the most important things, one of the most fun things, it's like a hobby at this point, is playing tunes very slowly. And I need all sorts of um, aids to do that, you know, with our our technology with apps between the amazing slower downer or I play to a, an iTabla app that's really awesome um, because it's got a nice groove. It's better than a metronome uh, to keep me going slowly and I can really feel um, uh, I can really feel the difference when I've played things very, very slowly with a lot of control. Paid attention to every note that's subtle, every nuance. Um, and then when you're in a position to speed it up, you tend less to speed up with abandon you know, and be out of control. But when you do speed up, there's almost like a matrix slow motion quality that I've kind of enjoyed here and there. Um, Where...
1: You know, sorry. Oh, no, please. Uh,
2: I'm sure that I would meander for a half hour on that point if you let me go. What you just had
1: reminded me of was, you know, when I play tunes, at the speed that I'm used to playing them all fast, it kind of reminds me of... Well, not being mindful in more of a kind of mental health uh, way, and and this is why. So when I, when I'm just powering through them, it's just it's happening. It's kind of like I'm just driving to a destination. Uh, yeah, and, I, you know agree. You kind of you just end at the end. And you're like, well, I I didn't I didn't stop and enjoy any moment of that. When you do take the time, particularly as you say, when you play with apps or when you you you're, you're playing with someone else that is making you slow down, and you're going right, mm-hmm. this is the journey take yep. note of every little bit that you mentioned. You mentioned how you, like, mm-hmm. you noticed things walking along the street in our
0: yeah. conversation last week. I think we all... So you go ahead, Liam.
2: Well, I, I just... What you're saying is just hitting me, you know, just because I, I think that's exactly it. I mean, it's like in life, it's difficult to be present. And one of the ways... To be present, I mean, it's, it, it, your life gets crazy, it's hectic, you're worried, stressed, anxiety, all that kind of stuff. You've got kids, it's another dimension. And um, being present is difficult. It's hard just to listen, you know? And when you're playing, it's hard just to listen to yourself and pay attention to every note. Like, you're like it's hard to pay attention to every word when someone's speaking to you, so you're hanging on it and finding enough meaning to be able to send it back with just as much. And it's hard to do that. I mean, it's really hard for everyone to do it.
0: Uh. I'm 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 still um about two minutes back in the conversation, thinking about um, when you mentioned uh, driving with too much alcohol in your system. Not yep. that I've ever done that, uh, but <laughs> I guess the parallel would be like you know when you're driving and you see a cop car in the in the rearview mirror. Oh yeah, and suddenly every movement is like yeah that, that that so so there is something like that happens to me sometimes when I'm playing right where I'm, I'm su- Certain times when you become super self conscious, and then you 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 almost can't move for it, you know. And then suddenly you realize you're driving at ten mile an hour, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, and your headlights are off. Yeah, yeah. it's just uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So right, uh, and it was never about speed, and it was just about the headlights the whole time. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the uh, and I think that there that feeling is important. I think it's important for music to have abandon, and it's important for music to have control. And being able to toggle in any way necessary, granted, I mean, to have control over abandon is almost the abandonment of abandon, um, <laughs> <laughs> right, in a, in a way. But it is important to be reckless and enjoy that and feel that. Uh, mm-hmm. But the antithesis is also just as important to recognize if you want to be a dynamic player, I guess, get that most fulfillment out of um, having these tunes under your fingers the the idea that we can we can be dangerous and we can also kind of really be in control sometimes and enjoy this somehow archaic order of notes this 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 uh the 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 fact that people have been playing it (laughs) for millennia or what seemed to be in the cast in the case of Castle Kelly anyway I don't care how long it's been played or in the milieu or how it's been passed around. I just know it has. And it might as well be thousands of years for all I'm concerned. Um, and uh, that requires a certain amount of care and a certain amount of abandon. And um, it, it, it doesn't sound like much when I'm saying it, but that's just how I feel about it.
1: No, it makes sense. It's a, it's a nice way to think about it. The, the other thing I wanted to ask you about that set is you mentioned that the other two, were, you, you said they were modal yeah. tunes. Mm-hmm. What what is it about the modal tunes that kind of attracts you? Like I know for me in, in old time music, it's definitely something that I. Uh, so, can I
0: just ask as well? Like be, before you answer that, um, can you give me a little one liner on modal? Just
2: okay. So modal is uh, if you do, do you guys play the piano at all? No, a we bit. All right. Well, you know you know you know modal tunes. Modes are used. They evoke moods, a lot of great you know, a lot of great guitar riffs are modal. But if you sat down at the piano, let's talk about Lydian. That's that's such a moving mode. Um, so let's just talk about the white keys of the piano. I'll speed this up. I don't want it to be boring for anybody, but um, if you played from a C to a C, you'd just mm-hmm. using white keys you'd have what's called an Ionian mode, which would be the major scale that we all enjoy. Um, a to A, uh, you'd have the uh, the minor key that we all enjoy. Um, and now, if you go to the other keys, you, you guys know, especially, man, uh, you guys know plenty of Mixolydian tunes. You've heard that mode, right? Mixolydian. Mm-hmm. You know tons. Yeah, heard of, of it, right? So if we have a, <laughs> That flat seven makes it mixolydian. So if you were to play G to G on a piano. But that makes it different from. That makes it different from Ionian, the major that we all know and love. And once you get into that flat seventh, there's a whole new world that opens up. Things sound darker things have a different quality to them. Now, mm. if you get into Lydian, Lydian would be like starting on F and playing all white keys. And that would give you kind of like a sharp four. So you'd have this one.
3: Uh, you guys would know. <laughs>
2: right? Simpsons. I think I've heard that one, yeah. Yeah, Simpsons would be Lydian mode. So we don't we don't always use them. Sometimes we use them and don't know that we're using them. But a lot of the tunes were written in modes because a lot of the instruments were written um yeah. oh, a lot of the instruments were designed to not necessarily they weren't made to play post-bop jazz. You know, they were made to play to work in this this kind of this Aeolian matrix that if you started on a different note, you'd get a whole different tune. You can play around with this, and it's really, really fun. It's you can so, you, yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's really fascinating because um, in the McSherry tune that you played there, that first melody phrase absolutely hooked me. Do you know what's
1: funny too? Because I think that you have said what I was going to say in a different way. Every time on my banjo, when I tune it to a modal tuning and I play tunes, you always say, just, just, just you know the weird kind of tune, like the yeah. weird chord stuff that you do? That's like it. Like Dom always asked me, could I just do that? He doesn't know what he's asked me for. That's exactly what that mode is. the right. modal tuning on the banjo. On music. Right, right. So you, I, I knew within you, you have a love
2: for it as that, well. That's interesting, yeah. yeah. Hard, hard to explain what it is, but you know it when you hear it, you know. Yeah,
0: and, and actually, I've, um, apart from the fact that I can sort of play Castle Kelly's, I've always loved... The the first half of Castle Kelly's that shape, just a dee 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 dee. The just I, I love repeating that phrase over and over again. Mm-hmm. I love But the it, note just... is
2: the modal note, it's that flat seven
0: Yeah. You just yeah. hang
2: on that note forever, it's the it's the tasty nugget.
0: I guess I'm just a melancholy sort
1: of fella
2: yeah you don't don't need to do anything else I didn't even
0: know he's
1: so interesting on that one chord what's
0: what's your mode
1: darn yeah easy mode everybody's got a mode yeah so with all of this obviously you it's been well established to any listener that maybe was not familiar with you but you, you you are well versed in the music of language and you are a professional musician but could you Take us back to how music appeared in your in your life first
2: yeah my my father was a music teacher and he was uh he was my elementary school music teacher who was a music teacher of course when before I went to elementary school and he was he was always really concerned with the development of our ears and um I think like any parent, he did his best to manipulate my tastes <laughs> but that <laughs> that, <laughs> that you know how that goes. Uh, He got some stuff in there. He got a couple past the goalie, which is important. It's probably why, between him and my mother, why I play Irish music now, um, because of their influence or just having a couple records around that maybe they didn't Mm -hmm. even love, but I did. And um, my father, we did a lot of singing in the car. And because he was a music teacher, he blessed me with just – an early understanding of intervals, so I hear, hear intervals very quickly, and I identify them very quickly, so I can sing what I think in my head. I can play it, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. and it's all just about interval recognition for me. And uh, so he followed us up through high school, and and did he play himself? You know, he's a he's a very good reader like amazing just mind blowing he would condense not full orchestral scores but he used to he directed musicals and i always played in the pit orchestra i wasn't really um into acting at that point i loved playing stand up bass and uh, so i always got the gig you know cuz i knew the director <laughs> was my dad and it was i mean he directed for the high school in our town so uh
1: and just as well or oh, sorry I beg your pardon, and I shouldn't have jumped in. Finish about your dad. I, I did have a question about the learning of intervals, but we can come back to that. Oh,
2: sure, yeah. And so uh, he, yeah, he was able to condense the score. He could read four parts of you know soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and just play them on the piano. So he had that going for him. But uh, he he would not be the guy you wanted to get for an improv gig. You know, he we we finally had a moment one Christmas when we were able to kind of play through some Christmas tunes together, but it was either I was playing classical music with him or, uh, you know, or I was using what I knew about music elsewhere in bands that I was starting. We were, uh, he was always really supportive of my interests really, but we didn't share a whole lot there. We probably share more now than ever, probably because I, you know, I go on and on about the music that I find when Mm -hmm. we're together. Um, So we, we talk about it quite a bit. Uh, so, uh, just to answer that question, the uh, when the spark really hit, I knew that I liked to sing. I knew I liked. There was something about music that I understood that was familiar to me. But it was uh, my father had some rituals, and one of them was the nine lessons of Carol, nine lessons and carols. And we we lived outside Buffalo, New York, south of the Canadian so border. About an what hour. is that? That's a, it well. They we used to listen on the radio, too, from, from London, but it's uh, Nine Lessons and Carols is a Christmas tradition and that they do in some hoity-toity cathedrals. I don't know a whole right. lot about it, but it's, you know, there's some readings and there's a song, readings and there's a song, readings right. and there's a song. Okay. And uh, one of the songs was run, once in Royal David City, and I remember sitting in the pews and hearing a kid, you know, probably about my age in the choir and falsetto kind of, singing once in Royal David City, and I thought, you know, with all the reverb bouncing around this enormous cathedral in Buffalo, New York, uh, this is beautiful, and I love this. And I it it was really getting its hooks in me, probably at, at uh, seven or eight years old. Right. Well, was
0: was your, mom, is your mom musical as well, you mentioned that?
2: Uh, she, she would sing. She really enjoyed singing. She had a great appreciation of music, and she'd be more responsible for bringing me uh to Irish music or making that accessible to me uh, then my father my father was good great with classical opera a lot of exposure there certainly always accessible when it came to theoretical questions but the folk side of things that came from my mom from you know like John Denver and Judy Collins but of course in the record stash there was just a bofie band there was a nafeli record in there that she got from her Irish friend Flo that um, used to sing to us when we were little, so I remember that, and that was that was not only my earliest exposure to Irish music, but some of th- that was around the time when I was getting my, well, the hooks were getting in me, I uh-huh. should say. Narfili,
0: yeah. That so you're the second guest we've had in 76 episodes. who's mentioned Narfili The first was Kieran O'Grady, um, the concertina player who mentioned. Oh yeah. Um, who mentioned going uh, um, finding a, a Narfili tape? Do you remember? Jim and listening to it in the car and just being like, "This is incredible." Oh, yeah, 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 it's pretty
2: so, raw. Like it's it. The 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 record three was the one that we had in my parents' album the LP collection. You know, it was just called Nafile Three and had a very. It just had a blackened record cover with just this, you know, these three silhouettes on it, and it's very raw recording. And a lot of it is just three people. You know, there's a flute player. They actually were multi instrumentalists, but they would do what is most attractive to me is when you know two or three instruments just play the melody beautifully together that is Mm -hmm. my that is what rocks me to my soul at my age and um that there was a lot of that on that record and I remember it feeling so old and so important so just something that sounded like it was older than anything that I could conceive of
1: it's funny how uh, for me when I think of how how I used to think about the music and the really sweet, lush productions that, on paper you would think this is the easy route in. This is the hook that's going to get mm-hmm. anyone into the music. Really, never appealed to me that much. And yeah. it's the it's and it happens today. It happened last week. It's the really raw albums that just like aggressively grab you and say this i am something pay attention like it's so strange that that it's these raw albums that seem to barb up people they they get in you you're not leaving you and it's the sweet ones which on paper should be the ones which are your entry level but it's i wonder why these records just wind you so hard and keep you wanting more
0: yeah that's that's
1: like um
0: i i have a real push and pull in my personality it's reflected in that, right? Because I, I, you know, I, I like I like movies with quite simple narratives, and you know, I like kind of clear narrative structures and things. But then there is also part of me that is just forget about the narratives, right? yeah. <laughs> go the Peter, go the Peter Greenaway route, you know. Yeah. Just have a have well, a naked I, man covered in paint walking around, you know.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think there, are, I think there are those times where you, you know, you want to do the deep uh, the deep dive. And you're really gonna get pulled in in your walk at night. And I think there are those other times where you, well, well and I think of when you say sweet, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go, but I think we all know exactly what you're saying. And I am the same, I've got a push and pull thing too. Sometimes I go for that. Uh, one of my, I don't know if you guys know, know the Pedro Arreada series that he did with yeah. Cleveland and Martin. Have you heard those records?
1: No, actually, uh, I thought you were going to go somewhere else, but no. You have
2: got to hear those records. It's just them playing the melodies. Every once in a while, one of them will do a spacey sound. There's no accompaniment, no chords. There's three of them. They are amazing. They are only available on his website, as far as I know. There's one that you can listen to on, on iTunes, or I guess in the U.S. we can. I don't know where they're licensed, but they blow my mind, and they are that. And I can just... I can put all of them in a playlist and just let them run. His compositions are, they're from everywhere. They're from nowhere. It's, it, they're, they're incredible. And, and then there are other times where, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into like bands like Lunasa where I just love their arrangements and um, I, I can put it on and I'm impressed with the work and the colors that they create and the tune mm-hmm. writing and, and, and how, they, how they use what they have at their disposal. Uh, um, two, what? but they're very, very different things. And uh, sometimes I'm in the mood for one. Sometimes I'm in the mood for other. And as you guys well know, sometimes I'm in the mood for none of it, which is a beauty I'm track that
1: of the down. music. I'm, I'll track that stuff down and stick it in the show notes. I, I also, uh, you know,
0: I, I want to ask you a bit more about J- uh, John Denver.
1: No, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so
0: um, uh, speaking of of sweetness, because I think there's something about some John Denver that is is more than the sweetness and i just I, I think that it's easy to miss that um some of his early stuff has these beautiful recordings of acoustic guitars that mm-hmm. absolutely captured me when i was young particularly the the first very simple acoustic version of take me home country roads mm-hmm. i remember hearing the acoustic guitar and that ding ding ding, ding it is really solid i don't you probably know what exactly what i'm talking about i Liam. do that mm-hmm. that um, I just loved it, and it was so so lovely. <laughs> so anyway,
2: well, I mean, yeah, just <laughs> just that quick note about John Denver. He, you know, there was what he became and what he was, kind of different things because he had a depth um, and a, a, a very dynamic edge that had, you know, a real shadow side to it that was very easy to see for me, even in his face. On an album cover. But sometimes it was just fun to see him bounce around with the Muppets too. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was a great part of him. You know.
1: I've only got one John Denver CD. It's John Denver Does Christmas and it, oh. it gets taken out each year and gets put away again. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, <laughs> it's getting good. to that time of year. Oh, I
0: could I could talk for quite a while about John Denver. He had a live album uh which he recorded with uh, an orchestra that was conducted by James Newton Howard, the the sort of film film composer. composer And um, I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's a double album. And um, it was one of the early albums that one of my brothers, who was a big John Denver fan, brought into the house. And I remember listening to it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And there was the songs. And then there was a few very orchestral, quote unquote, bluegrass style yeah chins in there too right and um i just i totally loved it it was brilliant so
2: anyway yeah Uh, yeah sorry i got to do it one more john neverdo there he he was (laughs) (laughs) he was there there's he became a pop you know he became an icon but a lot of stars and he was absolutely a star couldn't really just pick up a guitar and do something transformative and he really could he was a musician's musician and he was also a star. There's not that many of them, in my opinion. It's,
0: it's, it's kind of, it's interesting, like, I just, I don't know, the the, the roots that someone takes, like him, for instance, right? So so he starts off, and, and the fact that he becomes this, he becomes this synonymous with, for me, these middle-of-the-road sappy duets with yeah. uh, Placido Domingo and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. It's just...
1: You know what you should do. You do me a favor, um, because I'm sure there's going to be other people like me who know enough about John Denver to nod along in a conversation like this, mm. but don't really understand what you're talking about in terms of his his journey. So, deep cuts. What, what? What? Where did he start? Like, what? I don't mean like let's do a full deep dive on John Denver, but like, what are you talking about? Where did he start and where did he end up? Like, what is this transition that you're talking about?
0: I feel like he started. Well, you'd know better than me, Liam. Probably. I mean, I know just from the album. I I mean, I sort of chart his his career through <laughs> the albums that we had in our yeah. house right so there was an early greatest hits that had a very yellow and green cover and the uk version did anyway it was kind of and he's sitting in a field of daisies or something with a dog mm. yeah okay mm-hmm. I just a and it, of, it's and kind of and he's kind of big smiley like the sun's shining out of his face or lovely something, hair it's just like um and that had like poems and, prayers and promises and all these kind of um all his sort of established kind of acoustic classics but there was I mean I guess for me I remember talking to my friend Alex Campbell at the time about this as well. It's just like we would just get very excited if we could hear this the squeak of somebody's fingers on an acoustic guitar string. Yeah. Like that was exciting to us, you know. And so like hearing these really beautifully recorded acoustic guitars was like was awesome. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And then you know and also like, you know, there's melody and harmonies and they're easy to they're But did he shift to, into something else?
2: Accessible, right? I, I,
0: yeah, it's accessible. I, yeah. I guess, did he shift into something else? He just became...
2: He became a star.
0: He became, he became an icon, actually, like yeah. like you're saying, a particular kind of icon, Liam. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not exactly sure if I could say exactly what he represented. To me, he represented some kind of
1: oversimplification, uh, sentimental... Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. His legend almost became larger than maybe his output, too, because like I would not, like, I can relate to what you're talking about, but really I don't know much about his music but I'm, yeah. I can hear yeah. the name John Dever and go okay I yeah. Yeah, I get it like all yeah. oh, oh, right yeah. so that's on Well in okay. a lot of
2: mine it, we would have all been young you know and I was I was a kid and a lot of what I know about him we forget sometimes was was marketing plan you know and what I know of his story was from that uh Firefox series like uh that that kind of was a biopic but not about him but it was about him one of those things where he played the character but it was a different name but it was really his story um and it was just that idea that him coming from a very simple place um with a couple chords and you know achieving a, a stardom that that kind of brought him down in a way so that was the story that it told and that's what i remember from a kid you know that that, that doesn't really tell his story and in, in none of us could but he's a he's an interesting person to talk about for for the reasons you know that we're talking about
1: well Liam I'd love to stop and have a tune I think and when we come back I think going from John Denver I'd actually just like to ask you some questions around what you do professionally and and what you do for passion right you know, sure you, you you're sure you, you can understand where I'm going with that with um, writing music and then having a love for, for Irish music so if we could have a um a tune or a set of tunes or a song and that would be that'd be great
2: yeah i'd love to do both i think i'll play i'll play a um i'll play a, a song with a tune in it and uh this tune when we talk about that old sound and that very modal this is extremely modal <laughs> tune i have no clue where it's from but it's certainly you know it's certainly scots irish and um But my friend Jonah Shue and Andy Hall, we found it on a tape, and it was unlabeled. And to the degree that it it, it had some labels, but we couldn't really understand the scribble. And it looked like it said, Little Brown Jug, but we, we couldn't, like, that's not it. I've looked at every incarnation of that tune, and that's not it. So one of the things I like to do is I like to use these things when I find them, and I turn them into songs. So... The song's relevant to me. The tune's relevant to all time, in my opinion. Again, very simple. I kind of want to trace the tune a little bit before I go into the song, and then I'll play the song and we'll talk about it. I'm going to play it very simply. other like sneakers in a washing machine 10 different kinds of straight jacket crazy we were poor young and pretty stupid and amazing well that's when you learn that you're better when you're not alone and that's how you know you've been hit with a two-bird stone the two-bird stone She run a three-ring circus at the front of her mind Yeah, you can only do one thing at a time now Well, she minds her manners and she watches her tongue You got a mouth like a sailor and you never showed up And that's when you learn that you're better when you're not alone And that's how you know you've been hit with a two-bird stone the two birds song. She liked the funnest things and the five stars. In the high class. You like your beat-up wheels and your bare feet in the tall grass. Well, she brings the sunshine, you bring the pain. Oh, she like the yin, you like the yang. Well, that's when you learn that you're better when you're not alone. And that's how you know you've been hit with a two-bird stone. Yeah, that's when you learn that you're better when you're not alone. And that's how you know you've been hit with a two-bird stone. With a two-bird stone. Ooh.
1: All right. Liam, that was amazing again.
2: Oh, thanks. Wow. Well, you, you know, you, 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 I mean, I don't know, you didn't quite hear the chordal context. You know, I'm just going to take a second for you guys because I know, I, I just want to play the chords beyond this melody. I'm going to play the melody quick. I'm going to sing it now and play the chords. Do, 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 do. tune i just i could Mm. play it for an hour i just love it the tape that you you heard that on what what instrument did you say it was it was it a fiddle it was it was a fiddle it was an old-time string band but it was super irishy there was a lot of crossover i think they were doing a dance there was a lot of yik yak in in the background and we could barely pick out the tune but we sort of obsessed over it this is a long time ago and um where did the tape come from uh sorry where where did the tape come from? It came from my friend Jonas Shue's dad who collected this kind of stuff. He was out in Boise, Idaho. We were roommates at the time. The the Dobra players from the, the or Andy Hall who played the tune with us, he's from the String Dusters. Uh he's the Dobra player for the String Dusters, if you've heard of them, right. the infamous String Dusters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were roommates and um, you know, we would find tunes like this and a, a lot of them ended up in my back pocket. This is a long time ago. And um Uh, that one never left me. We called it medieval for a long time, just for fun, but we never got the name of it, which I'd love to know, you know, some people don't know, but I liked, especially when something hits me that sideways, usually we were talking about Castle Kelly. That name is just great for that tune. You know, Mm -hmm. if it was called saddle the pony or something, it just wouldn't be right. It's Castle Kelly and it's a place I'd love to, you know, visit not alone with a crowd and
1: then is it is it chicken or egg with the two birds two birds stone lyric is that
2: uh oh oh because of my band yeah, yeah. It, it, no it it uh that was that'd be egg uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. I guess <laughs> i guess okay <laughs> move on <laughs> yeah, so the the band name was there first my, the bass player's wife used to use the term I think we might have even used it on a tour bus cuz we toured for really long, you know, 11 years together and um uh, but of course, you know, the term was just that idea that you could kill two birds with one stone, but that takes a long time to say where you say, "Hey, if we go if we go get milk and, you know, pick up a lighter, I you know, we could kill two birds with one stone." Or we could say yeah. that would be a two bird stone, and we thought it would be a great band name, so we we went that way with it. And then the song came a little bit later. I just started messing with it, and I, I liked the idea that you know two people would get hit by one stone, and that's you know this love, of course. Yeah,
1: know? yeah. So then, Liam, when we were chatting earlier on, we we're kind of looking at your um, your trajectory as a as a musician. And I know we, we kind of dropped off when you were still quite young. But maybe if we kind of jump forward a little bit for the last number of years, you've you've been a professional musician, is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and and that 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 is interesting. So maybe we could get in into that, and then I could what what I would really love to talk about is how Irish music was trailing alongside the entire absolutely. time, absolutely, yep. um, and you would never know. <laughs> you would never know unless I told you it's always been, it's so peripheral that I have no work that I've done that I've recorded or video. You know, I just, it's been, but it's been a real love. It's been something I've been cultivating unwittingly. It's been a, like a complete indulgence. It's been my happy place and, uh, shared with a few other people, mainly one, um, that I've worked with for a long time. So, uh, I went to, uh, I, I went to school abroad and finished high school in the Netherlands. And I came back and went to Berklee College of Music in Boston for film scoring, where I met uh, one of my closest friends, uh, this guy Chad Kelly. You'll probably hear his name quite a bit. Uh, the we we met at a summer program when we were you know 15 and 16, um, and met back up when I got back from Europe. And um, I did my film scoring degree. Uh, college wasn't a hoot for me. Uh, it was a difficult time in my life. So music was compromised horribly, uh, but I kept, I kept a hand in it I didn't give up. Uh, and then, but I did hide and the place that uh, I, I hid was in post-production and I went into commercial music. And uh, uh, I worked in the concert office at Berkeley for several years. Um, with that dark thought of hey, I should be playing music, you know, but not really taking the risk so what was I'm holding you sorry. To, to do that. Uh, so
0: when you, you're working in the concert office, what what do you mean by oh, that? Oh,
2: I was working in a, in in the office that booked the concerts, the pro shows, the clinics. I got, got to it. meet a lot of really cool people through that job as just me and one other guy. Mm-hmm. He was a great mentor and he really honed my tastes in music and matured my sensibilities in a in a lot of ways. Um but uh, I avoided performing. When I had to do it, I would sweat and really panic. It was a, it was a tough one. Uh, but I, I pushed through that. Uh, had a couple bands that I enjoyed after school, but had to had some opportunities to start a company outside New York in Fairfield in post-production and took it and went down. It was with two friends, and they were both working. Uh, one was working uh, in Connecticut and one was working in New York City. Uh, they're both great friends and mm-hmm. uh, I came down from Boston we moved into a place and opened a studio in a Victorian house to do overflow um, work that these post-production houses couldn't handle at the time it was pre nine eleven, not much <laughs> pre but it was pre <laughs> and um, we got into that shenanigans and we were doing commercials for you know everything from I feel like we spent a lot of time on Barbie and Mattel and Gatorade and the Jaguar commercial and like tires. And stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And it and it was because I think we were friends and we really liked to do that. Um and at the same time, we were we were learning how to play these instruments, but we were really catapulted into it when we were when when nine eleven happened, we were inundated with work. We did World Cup Soccer. It was one of the first gigs that we had and it was sequenced orchestra and that was all done by chad kelly Uh, but we were finishing the production end of it and wrapping that up and when you say world
1: cup soccer are you talking for a video game or no
2: it was actually for it, it was music for the u.s airing through i think uh ESP in New England I believe okay, I'm not sure tell yeah, me yeah, yeah. so yeah. uh but it was a package that they they had started I came in we started finishing we worked and you know 911 happened like the 11th day that I was there um we still had work but it went down to nothing I had to start teaching um right out of the gate and uh that that ended up being transformative and very important part of my life and it got me over my performance anxiety pretty fast um but at that time the work dried up very quickly um and uh as a result of that you know we started busying ourselves with um some you know proof of concept for some production involving acoustic instruments. And we got into learning some tunes together and, uh, you know, it started out with the easy ones and, um, we, we kind of enjoyed sitting around and figuring this stuff out for ourselves. We didn't have much guidance. We had the recordings and, um, and a little bit of time in between calls from producers to do a remix of this or write this differently or, you know, we would sit there and wait and we would play and then wait for the call and then jump. So,
0: can I just ask you a quick question? Like, yeah. I, I realize I'm jumping back and forth here, but it, it, hopefully it all makes sense. So, so you mentioned there that you went to high school in the Netherlands. Yeah. So how did you end up in Europe? What was going on there? Like, um, just to sketch in a bit of travel with your no, family. My, is my
2: mother had Alzheimer's. She was diagnosed at a very young age. We, don't, I don't know exactly when she got it because, of course, there are years leading up to it. We saw um, aberrant behavior, you know, and bizarre things, but we didn't know what she had she was by the time she was actually diagnosed I was in my early teens um but I mean we have memories as far back as when I was seven and eight year old years old um seeing that some of the behavior was was different and we didn't quite understand and you know how life is it's things have to be loud to to get everybody's attention and by the time uh she was diagnosed uh, things were things were moving Pretty quickly with her development in the disease, and my father, as a music teacher, had an opportunity. She was also a teacher at a school, but she had lost her job. Of course, it wasn't—it didn't make any sense for her to try to teach. It wasn't working, and um, he took a sabbatical, and he went to Europe, and he went to you know look at organs and cathedrals. But really, what they were going to do was get my mom around the friends that she had made. Uh, when my father got his master's degree in Budapest, um, Hungary, and when I was three, he got his master's in uh, early childhood development and music, and um, they made a bunch of international friends there. And the Netherlands served as a hub. It was close to her friend, who's Irish, um, and uh, my uh, they and my one of my father's close friends from Ireland as well. And uh, they would go on little trips around Europe together, very often leaving me on my own in an apartment at 15 and 16 years old for a couple of days at a time. It was amazing. Uh, yeah. It really was an incredible time. And I was transformed by the experience. I mean, it changed my life and gave me a worldview that was You know, at times incompatible with people hadn't shared the experience. And I usually, you know, when I'm, I I mean, I could, I can hear the international nature of the experience of you two when you talk to the degree that it resonates with me. The idea of moving around, but moving Mm -hmm. around the world and what that experience really means and does to you. It it doesn't make you see how big the world is. It kind of made me see how small it was in a strange way. Yeah. Were, were you um so when
0: you were in the netherlands were you literally on your own in the apartment for there were there years? were
2: times i mean it, i don't think days. i think the longest period of time was maybe two weeks and there were neighbors watching me i was to find out later right <laughs> <laughs> and i was pretty good i was a good kid i wasn't really getting into too much trouble what? but how, i, how did I that, had great how did that feel and, how did that feel like was it it felt like did I feel abandoned
0: well not not abandoned, no, I just um well yeah, i guess i, mean, I don't know oh no, how, how i mean i it, it didn't
2: feel like Ferris bueller's day off either it just it felt it felt like they could <laughs> trust me and i and that I wanted to be trusted, and I had these incredible friends that that really honestly, if you tracked my grades, my grades just shot up when I went to Europe because i I ended up in an international school where there was a premium on good grades. You know, and all of a sudden I realized like, wow, I thought it was cool to be a slacker, but it's actually seems to be, you know, it it didn't look good. So I I worked harder there and I felt Mm -hmm. like I, I learned a lot about integrity and granted, not because of the Dutch per se. I mean, I was at at an international school, so it was really the fact that I was surrounded by people from all over the world and realizing that our experience was shared and that our experience of, you know, winning and losing and heartbreak and um, suffering, elation, all that kind of stuff was something we were all going through, whether you were from Nigeria or whether you were from Singapore or Ireland or Mm. wherever you were from. You
0: know. and how were
2: you how were your mom and dad during this period uh my father was overwhelmed but always very accessible if i needed him he was always there but i mean I, I didn't know at that age even at 15 16 17 years old um what it meant for my dad to be going through what he was going through with my mom it was my mom was not insured <clears throat> because there was a there was a pre-existing condition clause, of course, and the insurance that they had as teachers. And Alzheimer's was just a fuzzy area because people didn't get it at her age. It was very rare. There was one or two cases that we could track. At the time, you know, now people, there there are records of people getting it in their 20s. But So my dad was really on his own with with this, and he had us to help. I was a little bit more sheltered. I have had an older brother who was in the trenches a little bit, more in terms of her care the progress um, worsened, and um, you know he he struggled. We we talk about it. He's happy to talk about it, but he doesn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. It was a difficult time of him managing uh, his life uh, and his experience, and really taking care of another person top to bottom, twenty four hours a day, um, yeah. to the point that you know where she died in our house at home. Here in the states, uh, w- he was able to have a nurse during the day so he could teach. So, so it was when, it when was I was hard die? on. Him. Sorry, when did your mom die? Uh, I, by the time she passed, I was actually twenty six years old so it was a long time of you know this this care was you know well over 15 16 17 years real interactive in the trenches care that she needed again i i i know that i was i know that i was sheltered from it a little bit uh my brother and my father did a lot of i think the, the more the difficult work and um I was, you know, four, three and a half years younger than my brother. And it just its an evolution when you're going through something like like that.
0: Were, were you able to, to talk to your dad much about what was going on? Or was he able to talk about it?
2: I don't think so. I think he knew he didn't have the right audience to get what he was feeling across. There's no way that I could have understood. And not because a 16-year-old couldn't. It was just maybe this 16-year-old couldn't. Um, I... I feel like I woke up a little bit later in life, and um, I look back at now at what he was doing, even this international trip to this experience that I had. This wasn't something. We didn't go over there loaded. We were there on dimes. I mean, this was an Mm -hmm. experience that changed my life. It it gave me the perspective that I have, that I cherish uh, in a lot of ways. And um, I feel sometimes, and he knows this, I tell him that that um, I I got the most out of it than anybody. Um, that I hope he got a lot out of it, but I know he was just stressed out most of the time and taking care of my yeah, mom yeah. and not able to, to kind of do a lot of the traveling that he'd like to do because the, the care required more attention than he could give to, you know, an organ at a cathedral, we, though, though we saw many.
0: <laughs> when you think about your mom now, right, Mm. what image do you have of her now uh i
2: i have a very sweet memories of a connection with my mom uh i don't i have very few conversations uh i felt when she had passed i felt like a, there were there were things that i i felt like i felt her presence with me quite a bit um whether whether that was neurons firing in a way to bring her to me or whether whether it was something a little bit more pseudoscientific well, I don't know uh, but i I felt her then, and I because she is the uh, the real Irish connection um, she's the connection the, the the more stark connection my father comes from an Irish American mm-hmm. family, but my mom's second generation, so uh, then I feel like. Very often, I have a connection with her through this music, and it was with her I think that uh you know these were records that her friend gave to her that I really absorbed and uh so uh yeah i i whether it's romantic or not i you know I associate her with with you know my lineage as it goes back maybe to Ireland, but there's a romance there that maybe obscures uh you know what the truth of that is, but I don't really care. You know. Was
1: it was it after her passing that you um, you went towards the music a bit more, or was it yeah. did it play a role the whole time?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I never really thought about that at all. Yeah, but no, I w- I wouldn't have taken a stab at actually playing it. What, the, what until it about like a year after she passed, I never really thought of that. Yeah, about just about then was about the time that we started like. Playing, trying to play some of the tunes that we heard off "Out of the Wind into the Sun," the Bothy Band record. Yeah, yeah, okay. interesting. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. That's, I never thought of that.
0: That's a that's a very apt title um, mm. to draw on at this moment in the conversation.
2: Yeah,
1: right? yeah. Wow. Should we have it? Should we have a tune, and then it's actually a nice place to come in, and we can start talking about your the, the music and the role it plays. now.
2: Sure. Yeah. What do I play? Um, Can I ask what? you
0: a request? I, I don't know if you're. I don't know if you're. If you feel like you want to do this, but you sent us a, a beautiful version of. I think it was Lucy Farge, was it on the banjo?
2: Oh, on the banjo, yeah. I'd play that. Uh, well, you know, it, you, I was just yeah. thinking, I might play something off "Out of the Wind and the Sun."
0: Sure thing. Just Probably. since we beautiful whatever.
2: way all the way up to there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, there. Uh, the Maids of town, uh ah. Resonates with me So deeply That piece So um, I'd like to play that But I'm gonna uh, Do it With a song That I wrote And this was a This was an apology That I wrote On a card To my wife And I don't remember What I was apologizing about But it must have been Pretty good <laughs> I really don't. (laughs) If I did, I would just make something else up and and lie. But I don't. You must have done
0: something really bad for her to get a song out of it.
2: Well, you know, you're married. You know, when you're a musician and somebody chose to marry you, you have to come up with a lot of different ways to say I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 I wish I was joking. Here we go. So this is with the melody of Maids of Mitchell's town and then I'll play it on the fiddle. There are times I know you see Least becoming Parts of me I wish I knew This going in I would have been Much humbler Than and had I known how it could be I might have changed my history I remind myself that I could break The person I most celebrate I'd finish wars I hadn't won And I'd do the work I hadn't done I'd make it so you'd never see The very broken parts of me. But now we're here, and still I know there's nowhere else I'll ever go to build a life on faith and hope and fix the things I wish weren't broke.
0: Thank you, Liam. That is gotta be one of the single most profound tunes in the whole of Irish music, for me anyway. And I oh, don't like, like, I'm sure cut. you can explain it in technical <laughs> terms, but I have no technical explanation for it. But Nor do you um, need one I feel like I'm diving in and out of the water in that and it, I'm I'm going up and I'm going down mm-hmm. and it's just there's light and dark and there's, um, it's just, it's so amazing. The turns in it and the harmonic turns in it are yeah. just so incredible. So thank you for playing that. That was, that was really fantastic. Thank and you, you can
2: hear it. It can be harmed. So it can be chorded so many different ways. Although I think it's hard to beat with the Baathies did with it. Be, that those chords were just great. I guess it's probably me Hall that did that and chose those but those are pretty unconventional chords to pick um and it brought it to another level and what you know what they did was they carried it down the stream right i mean they took something that probably just had a drone of course um and made it accessible in a new way and then what i would probably do if i were to perform this is probably kick a drone and (laughs) do it right against the ground right against the drone you know the whole way Just because we've heard it, we've heard it the way that the Bothys did it. But I love that it's it's so malleable, you know. It's yours. That's what these tunes are. They're ours to shape. They're ours to share. And we forget that, right? There's always the the, there's always going to be somebody who's like, no, it's got to be done this way. And there's a way that it's done, and there's a certain way. And then there's there's got to be the keepers. There's got to be the crashers. You know, I
0: I, Uh, there's certain tunes that get me at a particular moment, and I feel like I could fit my whole life into that tune.
2: Oh man, me too. Right. And I
0: feel like I could fit my whole life into the colors in that tune, right? Feeling like about to cry now. <laughs> yeah, it's it really. That, it's that
2: major lift. It's that major yeah. section when it goes into this bright spot, and then it brings back. I don't know about you guys, are I know you talk a lot about. Um, it, what it means to be Irish or not or what or who cares, right? I mean, there is that that, mm-hmm. that feeling, but there is very often, you know, that I uh, man, I don't know exactly what the word is, but that that moody, brooding um, tone is not sadness. There's a there's a depth to it. There's a I think pensive is a better word yeah. because it's thoughtful. It's a moment of reverence that can be. Uh, that can be slow and it can be minor. It's almost in a way that, you know, you don't have to perceive, right, um, something occurring is either positive or negative if you can give it the 300-year glance, right? I, and I know I'm getting a little cosmic here, but the idea that this this slow, sweeping, minor tonality does not have to be seen or heard as sad, Right, and that's why yeah. I think life is that same way too. Something that happened here in your life that is sad, of course, all it takes is a little bit of time to realize that there was some advantage that came out of that disadvantage, some incredible light that was a result of this this sudden change or this this um, this this thing that you didn't want to have happen to you or somebody else. And, um, well, that reminded
1: yeah. me of the the curiosity our podcast which you did a um a few months ago and i know the crossover from that podcast and our ones are probably very very slim so if you don't mind i'd like to ask you about that with relation to what we we're just talking about and music in the earlier piece you had mentioned how you you had some anxiety around performing or, or when it came to music about, about being the one actually making the music and and, and, and your journey to where you are now can you, can you kind of take us through that I know you've you've covered it but I only mentioned the listenership crossover being not the same because I think our listeners would be very interested
2: yeah well, well it's interesting and I think it has uh, I think probably has something to do with uh, a struggle that I had when I was younger that I think a lot of people do and I can nutshell it um, just so it doesn't Become a longer conversation than it needs to be, but when I was in uh, college, I came from a couple small ponds. one was in western New York, um, and the other one was in Europe. Remember, international schools tend to be kind of on the smaller side, so I had a graduating yeah. class of twenty six or something like that and um, the uh, being a musician there, I was the best. <laughs> <laughs> in the least of my mind, there, or perhaps the only one that was doing anything like what I was doing. Uh, so I w- it was a real slap in the face when I got to Boston. And what instead of just realizing that there were some people there that knew more than me, that there were things to learn and places to take what I had, I was overwhelmed with the idea that everyone was better than me. And unfortunately, I was not able to even really try to qualify or find out for myself whether that was even true, which is really yeah. unfortunate. I let it be true. And uh, it it spun me out into a pretty deep depression. And at that time, it was not anything anybody talked about or knew about. I didn't even know. I just know that I started to have conversations with friends in regard to, I mean, one that came up a lot was the idea that I had on hard time differentiating myself from a homeless person on the street it was really difficult for me when approached by one or when I saw one to not feel as though there was nothing no difference between me and this person and that it seemed very unfair that I would be I guess in within the opportunity that I had and that this person might be suffering and where they were and I really couldn't see what made me better I still can't but um i i was a i was black and white thinking as opposed to going a little bit further with it um and so uh, things got progressively worse i i got rid of instruments um and took jobs um to make money to live in boston and put music on the back burner at one point i had no instruments <laughs> and we, we, how are you
1: referencing the good times in your mind in, at that time? So what I'm asking there is that when you were at a stage when you felt you were the best, yeah, what, yeah. When, when you were in this depression,
2: what was the memory of being the best like? Where did, where did that fit in? Freedom. It was the idea. It's a, it's a mistake we all make. I mean, if you find yourself with a feeling that, ah, oh, like I really want to get back to when I felt this way, it's a trap. And I had that. I, I had this feeling of, like, I remember feeling free. I remember not caring whether people were watching me when I played music. I remember just being so free with it and not caring about the rules. And mm-hmm. it became this idea that I, that I needed to find some way back to that, and that's absurd. And I mean, it's, it, 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 it's nobody's fault for thinking that way. It's just not the way time works. Uh, we move forward through things to become better versions of ourselves. Um, even truer versions of ourselves and if going back is anything it would be getting to a core part of you that you never really lost it gets Mm -hmm. confused with you know parts of our brain that were never really set up to receive information in the doses that we get it Uh, if we see an onset of depression and anxiety today i don't think it's any mystery why in fact, if you aren't overwhelmed with the amount of information coming to your head and a little confused by it, I'd wonder if you were paying much attention at all. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's overwhelming, and you can get lost within that. And then what happens, of course, is the brain starts to make neural pathways that tell you stories about your reality that aren't true, and the more you think them, the more they become a reality, and that's hard to fight. Um, so, and oh, Go ahead. So, so w- when
0: you're there in college and you're going through this, like, how does that manifest in a particular day? For instance, when you're uh, no, yeah, you're a
2: TV, not leaving, not going to class, uh, distracting myself with jobs, work, you know, getting get, just getting jobs to make money. Uh, uh, definitely, uh, panicking about money all the time, worrying about money, real, real problem there, I don't know what it was uh but but I look back at it now and it looks like there was any distraction that I could get from keeping me to go to the scary place of discovering the musician that I really wanted to be um, uh there's a book called the War of Art I don't know if you're familiar with that it's it's not uncommon for artists to do this and to you know find themselves in relationships that will take them away from what it is they feel they're supposed to do because if they're distracted by that, then they don't have to face the inevitable failure that comes from learning how to express yourself in your medium. It's, you know, all that, all that waits for you when you're trying to, uh, perform or write is failure, right? Um, -hmm. that's what's there and through the failure, right? And through your inability to reach your goal, is how you develop your style. I didn't know that at the time. Um, at the time I just thought I can't do what everybody else can do. And I just kind of, I, I didn't know I could do it the whole time. Actually, yeah. I had a lot yeah. of tools, a lot of tools at my disposal. And, uh, so I, I wasted a lot of time distracting myself with whatever I could. Um, and, uh, um, I went deeper and deeper into a uh, place of withdrawing and distancing myself from what I wanted the most. And that was music and becoming... Uh, there was a lot in between me and feeling free with my creativity and yeah. my ability to express myself on an instrument. And um, so uh, what I was shaken by a psychedelic experience uh, on psilocybin mushrooms. And I didn't talk about it for years and years, and now it's very... And it's a very cozy place for me. people talk about it all the time. Uh, but I, I, uh, I would, I was given some mushrooms by a friend of a friend and, uh, hanging out at a arboretum, climbing on some trees. I sat by myself for a long time and I was shaken by the interconnectivity and, uh, the way I felt myself in the universe and the fact that I was inextricably intertwined with every single thing in it. And, uh,
1: but were you were you just you were just wanting to have a good time, or were you, were you no. looking at some kind of?
2: No, I mean, I was. I I didn't know. I just any kind of distraction from the pain that I was feeling seemed like a good idea. Yeah, and I guess yeah. there was a part of me that was kind of feeling the giddiness, the idea that I might just feel something different. you know, um, somebody had them, and it didn't matter to me. So I mm. I took them, and uh, it it like really <laughs> shook me out of my cognitive Kansas you really, you know, you really don't have a choice. If you, uh, if, if you have that experience, you're, you're going to go for the ride. You're not going to come out of it going, I didn't feel anything. You, you, you will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and now, thank God, there are, uh, you know, all sorts of credible studies and uh, legislation in, in place to make this experience and this opportunity available in a safe clinical environment for uh, sufferers of, you know, you know, clinical depression and anxiety, but and more importantly, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and things mm-hmm. that really keep people, you know, things in between people and feeling free. And it, it um, there's uh, recreation uh, doesn't really have a place in it. It's not the kind of thing you want to run back to, you know be like hey i think saturday i'll do that it's not really that kind of experience so you you mm-hmm. y'all you might have maybe experienced it so i i don't know but for me it was uh transformative i've had a couple few a few others um and they they helped me they changed my life they made me who i am uh, they made me more altruistic more connected uh made it easier for me to forgive empathy is very easy for me. It 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 can almost get in the way. Uh, it yeah. certainly doesn't help in the marketplace. I think you guys probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I'd rather be here with my heart the way it is than where I was. And so I'm really happy for that. And that being said, I guess I, I, I'd i hate to be having this conversation without knowing that, you know, one or both of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no,
0: completely.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: It, like, yeah,
1: have I, you had an experience with them? I've, 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 I've dabbled in in all sorts throughout the years, and right. I've always been terrified with um, with psychedelics. I, I, I was if anyone that listens to this knows, I was big into techno, and what comes with that is oh yeah, yeah, that I'm, would be MDMA a terrible place HCC. to do that.
2: Yeah, don't do that. But I, I, would have, I would to have, see it. I've had
1: MDMA for for years, and I, I remember during those years wanting. Everyone I know to do it with me, so they can feel that amount of empathy. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. But what like I've done a lot of reading and a lot of listening about um, psilocybin and and then um, more yeah. kind of synthetics and stuff because I, I MDMA, think yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's but, a big one. They they do a lot of therapy with it. Yeah.
1: I don't know if MDMA. and the reason I'm bringing this, up, I don't think the MDMA has the long-lasting. Um, I. From what I can see from the, so listening to you and I'm trying to put it like a a timeline on how long ago this was so how, how long ago was that your your experience
2: oh uh my first one was uh man, i mean jeez the nineteen ninety eight or ninety seven right
1: so this exists, so this really feeds into my my feeling right so my feeling about this is that with things like psilocybin. They tend to have the the awakening or the 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 shift that you have lasts for years. Unfortunately, I think with MDMA, it's a very profound shift in the moment, and I don't know how long that lasts in 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 shaping your personality down the road.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: If you, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. um, I think as a like from the like talking about now and the, me as a a non drinking alcoholic i'm still very intrigued by doing something psilocybin but the just the psychedelics has always freaked me out because i i've i'm sure as most people that smoke pot you smoke too much and you have a green out and paranoia has always been a yeah. part of my personality and sure. i think the 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 tendency to lean towards depression right so like, like yourself probably the tendency to have those negative thoughts about yourself and then when you add a drug where you don't have much control over your mm. your thought patterns for a while is terrifying. So, like, definitely years ago when I was getting high, it was horrible because I could I would just devour myself. The, the the I can see with psilocybin that there's an oh, there's a window of it being transformative, but there is the percent, you know, that yeah. it's not going to be great for you. And who knows? Can can I ask you,
0: Liam? Um, yeah. When you when you talk about that particular transformative experience i mean how did it manifest for you like was it was it a period of months afterwards where you start to feel like you're coming out of it
2: oh uh, no it lasted for a long time of course it turned my head so hard that i couldn't help but wonder you know how soon i could or should go back to feeling like what what i felt from it and uh this this guy Chad, he's the guy that plays accordion in Two Bird Stone. We ran that company together. We, you know, he's one of my closest friends, and um, he he was with me the night we did it, and we couldn't stop talking about it. He wasn't going through what I was going through per se, uh, but he was feeling a lot of it, and he faced a little bit later, which we would work through together. So we worked through a lot of that emotional stuff together. A lot of you know a lot of those conversations about how to deal with um you know our existence as it was some of the disappointments we might face our expectations not kind of meeting what we what we would have wanted um and um so any time that I went back, it was with him, and there were maybe three or four just doozies. And we we'd read enough to know about set and setting and do it responsibility, mm-hmm. or do it responsibly and as safely as possible. And we would never yeah. have gone to a party or anything like that. We were always secluded. We'd always have a whole house at our disposal where we knew we could, yeah. you know, we could have the space. We knew what to do. We knew to give each other the space. We'd spend hours apart. And uh, that's how you do it. You have to kind of sit and listen, and feel that. So we did that three or four times. We might have, you know, maybe broken one of our rules To I think I remember one time walking down through the city of Boston uh, in that state, um, probably a little bit reckless. I don't think it was dangerous. It just mm-hmm. it, it, you're kind of missing. You're missing the experience at that point. If you're taking a psychedelic and going to a party, hey, I don't know maybe you'll have something great happen but the internal stuff it needs to be uh approached in a sacred way and it needs to be approached with a little ceremony even if it's just you um mm-hmm. having respect and um maybe a little astonishment at what you're what you're receiving um there's there's yeah
0: so did you know then that you as you start to heal from the depression did you know that that was happening or was no. it something that okay
2: no i just know now it was like years later i would hear people talking about depression and anxiety and was like oh every single symptom was exactly it was like i didn't know it, it this was the this came on about 94 or 95 it was at, at its worst in 95 96 so so it really if you think about it it just wasn't anything that it wasn't in the it wasn't in the ether we didn't talk about it and if we did it wasn't it wasn't on the it wasn't on uh Ladderman you know yeah uh, yeah Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't on Conan O'Brien and that's what i was watching you know I was, I was just watching network television and not really exposed to any any of the tools or technologies from you know anything, like from yoga, to you name it. I was so far away from anything like that as as someone that age at that time would be, I as far d- removed from anything that would have taught me anything about self-awareness or anything like that. So I had to kind of find that on my own. Our, my parents and your parents, probably generations, they they didn't have anything to lean on in that way. So I feel very lucky that we have ways to deal with some of this stuff. Our parents just bit down on the stick and did it and mm-hmm. I don't think that's we don't have to live that way you know
3: mm.
1: I can definitely relate when you're talking about that not knowing enough I think with my drinking at the time I just <clears throat> I thought that was the norm which you would have I think that episode I spoke about that you messaged me on <clears throat> on in, excuse me <clears throat> you mentioned me on Instagram and I could I could tell that had resonated because you oh, it's yeah. that feeling of you, presuming that this is the norm and it's unfortunately not until you're past the precipice into the new norm you kind of get to reflect over your shoulder saying holy holy shit that's that's actually not what any of this is about that's not that's not a reality that you have to live yeah. on a day to day
2: yeah well i found that when you when you shared that you preempted it with the question as to whether you should right as anyone would feel that it's like mm-hmm. should i be talking about this i don't know if anybody cares but of course like when you hear it and you have the distance and that objectivity to someone expressing something like that it's it, it's kind of funny that we talk about anything else uh, mm. right other than these things okay. like hey it's I mean, I mean, this is a really <laughs> profound thing that happened to me and i'm looking back on it in a different way and so glad that i handled it the way i did so yeah i was i was moved by that conversation i don't
1: I don't know if a someone who has maybe gone hasn't gone through depression or I definitely know it with alcoholics it is, there's 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 the the cliche of like alcoholics just won't shut up about how they don't drink anymore and I, I've i never really thought about it I've felt it lots but I've never thought about it to, about the way you've just said it there it's such an achievement it's such a, a new reckoning that of course you, you don't want to talk about anything else because for you it's the world has flipped and you're like how, how great is life yeah you, right because uh, what you're not getting across when you talk about when you don't drink anymore is how shitty it was during that time mm-hmm. and, and I think that's why the cliche of ex-drinkers always talking about not <laughs> drinking is there. it's because we're kind of we want a bit of a pat on the back. Like I've done like giving up <laughs> cigarettes and booze. Fuck off. I've done things that you couldn't achieve right. in a lifetime. Go get yourself properly addicted to something. Give it up. And then we'll have a chat. <laughs> Don't yeah. tell me about running a marathon. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's 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 uh, that's profound. Yeah. Yeah. That That was, uh, yeah, it was similar. Yeah. And you you you're forced to take control over how you perceive your experience. You realize mm-hmm. I can control this, but it's not for the faint of heart. It's not, yeah. right? I mean, you, once you're in, you can't get out. You you can't get <laughs> out of that conversation <laughs> once you start it. You yeah. know, if you're gonna talk well, like that. Thank you so much.
3: You know,
1: thanks for whatever. sharing that with us, man. Because I, I I I know it's I know it's not something that, as you said, it's something that you need to approach. And like I, I didn't give you any warning that we're going to talk about so I appreciate you going in, into so much detail. The um. It feels like it's a good time to have a tune. Yeah. Unless you want to keep on going on about anything within that.
2: Yeah. Could we, um, let's, um, I'm going to play a set of jigs. Lovely. um, I wanted to talk about just some composers that, I, I don't know how much you guys have, or get into the tune writers, but I'm just fascinated by them. And uh, I have written tunes, um, but I, I don't think I've gone through the process of really, um, what's the word, uh, developing or maybe realizing yeah. a tune, where I think some of the tune, tune writers that I am really into, a great example is John McCusker. Um, I don't know if you know that fiddle player, mm-hmm. but he is just... Yes, I do, yeah. Ugh. I love his writing. And you can actually, if you listen to a couple of his records, you can hear tunes kind of come back and he's been developing them over time. You mm-hmm. hear little snippets. You're like, oh, he used this in another tune. You know, he's, he's really good. I love, that's what it's meant to do. It's meant to change. And the fact that it's, your hands are in control of this thing and it's okay. Hey, release it this way. Let people see yeah. the change. How many people are even going to find it? You know, in all those notes, but they're, they're there to find. It keeps you coming back. Um, there's there's several that I like. There's there's the ones with the quiet, a little bit archaic modal sensibility. Um, you know, we were talking to, about Peter Orata, and he's one of those writers. When you, I know he does all sorts of orchestral stuff and choral works, and and I dug into it a little bit, like it. I guess I don't know. It really didn't resonate with me, but not because of his com- composition, because his writing is ridiculous those three tri- trio records are off the hook I and mean, they were mm-hmm. so good and of course it's Quevin and it's Martin Hayes playing and they're doing that understated thing that they do um, I can't wait and to find playing us. with so much soul and uh, so yeah. th- that's something to check out and then there's then there's like the more of the McCusker the, you know Mike McGoldrick is uh, you know one of my heroes of Irish music and and uh, uh, of course the guys in Lunessa were, were a big way in for me at the beginning, kind of in the coming back. I heard, I was at Border Records. I hadn't listened to Irish music in a long time. We've geeked out, uh, my, my friend Chad and I, we'd geeked out on the Bothy Band records that I had. I had Old Hag and I had Out of the Wind and the Sun, and he bought them, and we'd go over to his house and listen to them, all that kind of stuff. But um, I was in Borders, and uh, I can't remember which Lunasa one was coming out I think it was before Killian joined the band but it really hit me I was like I just love that this has so much fire to it and yeah. um and I would drive around listening to the car and I kind I've always followed them um and of course you know you had the amazing Kevin Crawford on and his his you know he, uh, I love I love him because of his his spirit, of course. His ability Mm -hmm. to ornament is really remarkable. Uh, When you see them, his sense of humor is in his playing, and it's in the way he addresses the crowd. It's everything (laughs) with them. But then you look at Killian Valeli, I guess you'd pronounce his name, but he is the brooding guy. You know, and I love that brooding nature. And he, he go, it comes into his song. His tune writing is exquisite. I think it's been a development too. His his tune writing has just gotten um, is just great. So I'd like to play one of his jigs, and I'll play uh, into an older jig called a. thanks, awesome. Sporting pitchfork. This is uh, for one of his daughters. Thanks, Liam. Great. I, I, have, love it. I have to tell you a quick Killian Valley story. It's remarkable. <laughs> Go I'll on. I'll try to make quick work of it. But he, um, uh, Chad and I worked in post production with a friend of ours named Kurt Ram, who got um, a few exquisite gigs um, right around the time that we were working with him. Chad worked directly with him, and every once in a while I'd join them on a project. And he uh, ended up playing with uh, Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band. He was playing trumpet, and um, he he had been in about two or three years. He was getting closer and closer to to Bruce, I guess. And um, Bruce had asked him if he knew anyone that played the bagpipes. So he he called Chad and said. Hey, do you guys know? I know you're into this Irish stuff. Do you guys know anyone that plays the <laughs> bagpipes? And it was, it was. He goes like, you know, honestly, yeah. he said, "I know you guys are into this shit. Do you guys like know somebody that that plays the bagpipes?" And we're we're kind of like sizing it up, and Chad. And I were talking about it. And he said, like, he means the, the Illion Pipes for sure. And I knew one person that played them, but it wasn't that level of recommendation. And, and I, we just started talking about, like, wait a second. could couldn't we just find – we were, you know, big fans of Killian. And we're like, can't we just find him uh, and just recommend him? So yeah. that's what we did. And Chad searched his email – found him, emailed Killian, um, got in touch with him, connected him a couple of days later. Killian's over at Bruce Springsteen's house recording on it. his record.
1: Yeah, No way. Is that not a great story? That's fantastic. Story? Yeah.
2: So, uh, so uh, yeah, needless to say, Chad gets to see Lunasa Free Free when they're in town. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such All a great, it. great story. So sorry I interrupted you. No I, no
1: I was going to just say uh, you uh, you put together a, a list of um a it was, it was it's an it's an iTunes I don't use the, the iTunes player that much so I'm not obviously familiar with it but we, um, you sent a list of kind of things that you're interested in and, and I haven't done this before but I'll Do you think I can share that within the show notes? Will people be able to play it if I shared
2: that? Yeah, sure. That would be great. And what it is, is it was, I think, uh, Darren and I were talking about, I was talking about how much I like some of the new tune composers and how important Mm -hmm. I think that is for just the genre at large and the culture at large of of sharing tunes. The new ones are just as important. And um, some of these new ones, again, Mike McCusker just comes right to mind because... I've learned some of his as of late, and they're just, they're blowing my mind. And he, I think he just released a book, like yesterday, maybe, of, a, of 100 yeah. tunes or so that were written out. Um, but yeah, so that's all that list is. It isn't, um, it isn't necessarily a, a large list of what I've been into beyond uh, new, new compositions by some of the guys doing work that just catches my ear and turns my head.
1: No, it's a great playlist, and it's just great to have that that spread in in one place. Like it kind of made me think, gee, like, what, why haven't I, why have not I, why haven't I done this before? Like to get what a, a topic that we're talking about and put it in one place so it's easy to just dip in and digest it and kind of get up to to speed with where we're at because there's so many things get thrown around and it's very hard often to put it all back together again.
2: Yeah, I'll ha- be happy to forward my findings in the future. I'm always. I'm always looking through the pile, always, whatever I can find.
0: I love it. Uh, So, sorry to pull us back to something that we've sort of moved on from, but I'm, I'm really curious about, not the moment, but the... Sorry, when you come out of your period of depression... When do you start playing again? Like, do you remember? Uh,
2: yeah, with, yeah, with my, uh, with my friends who I ran the company with. There was an engineer, great musician, Brian Sargent. Um, he's just one of those guys, I uh, man, I gotta get in touch with this guy because I loved playing with him so much. And it, it Another story, but we we haven't spoken like 15 years, and there's no that we love each other. We it's kind of been we texted a couple times, we kind of like the fact that we haven't talked. When I get together with them, it's gonna be a pretty good party. But the um, he and Chad and I, we would start to play there, so that was the beginning. Then I started to write songs. Um, we had access to a lot of equipment, so we would put together a record now and then, nothing fully realized um so uh, you know I sweep them under the rug a little bit they're kind of my material We, we all chipped in and did that stuff and that was the start but I can't say that I feel like I really started playing music until I started performing and that happened just a few years later I would start to perform start to play out because of teaching teaching was the most important part of my existence as a uh, performer and as a player, without teaching, uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to learn how to do anything. <laughs> I mean, it's it the ability to articulate what I knew for myself is the only way that I could learn what I knew, what I could, uh, it was very important. Mm-hmm. And of course, the interactivity, the ability to talk through um, an uncomfortable moment or noise or distraction, all that kind of stuff, it really came from teaching. So it was a long process, but once I started performing and feeling comfortable, it was like, look out. That's all I wanted to do. And eventually uh, I left to to go do that and did. And um, spent, uh, in 2006, um, I did have a little record deal with, um, with a very small independent label from the, the guy who used to be the president of Green Lynette Records. Um, and we put out a record, and then I was right after that I was hired by a country star, and I didn't know much about country music at all. Um, uh, and I, at the time, I was living in this island out outside Seattle. I'd left, um, I'd left the company. I'd left New York. I was Where were playing, you living? I was living in the Straits of San Juan de Fuca and Lopez. It's really Lopez small island. But, yeah, oh, Dom, I know it well. Yeah, yeah because Dom lived in Seattle, right? Those those
0: uh, I sorry, we're going off track here but who cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those <laughs> That's islands kind of what we do. <laughs> those islands are the Dude. the ferry ride around those islands is like <laughs> paradise. It, it's just you're going th- between these yeah. islands and y- you feel like you could reach out and touch them on either side at certain mm. points because you're going through these really deep channels. Yeah, right. And it's just they're covered with this just these beautiful northwestern trees and it's all blue and green oh, and is that, that set
1: against the backdrop of the metropolis the city like no a, no the
0: city's city's down the oh, city's like not an hour and a you're way out of the city but, so you're right on the border with Canada oh wow it's so incredible it's like it's absolutely if I had to say like you know my list of things that I miss most apart from the, the people that I miss in, in the northwest the the ferries in the Northwest and that mm. particular journey, which I've done so many times because we've got friends who lived in, live on San Juan Island and it's just, and San Juan Island is like, um, parts of it look like, they look like Irish fields. Except yeah. With better weather. <laughs> <laughs> and, barely and you know a yeah. good a good summer and even some of the gates are similar you look at a gate you could like i could almost take a picture of that and tell somebody it was like yeah, yeah. You know, it was <laughs> summer in county antrim you know, yeah, absolutely anyway sorry to take you off track there but no no i'm gone. It, they,
2: they, they they deserve that tribute it, it it was an exquisite place really impractical place for a musician to go but it <laughs> yeah was, i was gonna say it was like oh well you know it was really it was uh, i i was, I went there really for a relationship, but I also needed, I also wanted to get away from where I was musically. And, Mm -hmm. and I was, I was just, I I was ready for something new and I knew it would do it. I, I feel like I do that in my life. Like I just try it. I tend to, I won't take long to get there, but I've done it other times in my life where I've just kind of left where I was to the degree that was comfortable. And it, it's develop. It helps me develop the trust in the universe and the fact that, you know, it's it's if you're paying attention, and and being responsible and taking care of yourself, it's hard. It's hard to mess it up, if you're really working on it. So um, I got a call from a guy that I used to do a bunch of session work on Martha's Vineyard, uh, and. We did several projects together. It was a great bass player named Judd Fuller, and he said, hey, listen, I'm with this country guy. He has a number one right now. He's looking for a guy who can sing high harmony and play fiddle and banjo and guitar and piano and all that kind of stuff, and uh, he wants to check you out. You want want to come um, to Nashville. And so uh, I just packed a couple things, brought a fiddle and mandolin, and uh, I went and took the... I got there. I toured with the band for two two weeks or so, and uh, had a conversation with the artist. and He said, "Hey, I want to keep you on, and do you want to do this?" And I said, "Yes." And I was with him for eleven years, thick and thin. Wow. Um, his right hand guy uh, in radio tours from you know from Red Rocks to uh, Radio City Music Hall to Afghanistan to wherever. Like uh, it was, it was really tremendous you know got a chance to play in front of you know through the festival season 20 30 40, people a day would be very normal and developed a real sense of the stage and what it meant to perform i had you know whatever contempt that i might have had for say the the way american country music was coming across to somebody who had an international experience as you can imagine um mm-hmm. it was gone immediately when i saw there was a culture that you know deserved respect and if mm-hmm. you hear you know what you might <laughs> consider just a dumb country song try to write one it's <laughs> you, it's really hard it's so easy it's almost impossible i like to say but uh, i actually uh,
1: want like this might be something that for you is so pedestrian before i was speaking to Don with this it's so interesting so you're you're a you're a, yeah, a writer for a publishing house uh, yes
2: very writer. very recently though I, I just signed my deal uh i just signed my deal a month ago so what does, does, it does it look like it, yeah what does the
0: deal mean does that mean like they say okay you write us 20 songs a year and yes. we give you 20 grand or something like? yes this. they so yeah so fast? you
2: get in a, you you get an advance but then it's you, it's not whatever song you want to write at this point. It's really important that you focus um, your writing at uh, particular artists, products, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's a job like any other, but uh, I'm well suited to it. And the there, it, it's a real co-write culture. So you know, you're always being put with different people to write. Um, so how does that I, work? Only, I think I'm only shin deep in it at this point. But from what I understand, there's a there's a, a a wave of co-writes in my future that's just kind of just never-ending and i look forward to that i like the connection and i like writing with people that i don't know i like writing with can i can can i zoom
1: out on the industry just for a second yeah maybe it's just me who doesn't understand but so i'll ask anyway just in case there's others who don't what so you are one of the cogs in the wheel but like for a song to get from ideation so the the artist ideation to hearing it on the radio what's that what's the line look like Uh,
2: i don't think you can draw one as you'd imagine there um there are a lot of different ways that that lightning can strike um in a lot of ways for it to happen but what would be the i guess i think the industry norm is that a group of writers from two to four We'll get together and usually bigger names people getting attention They could be mm-hmm. artists as well um very often they are artists that you might not have heard of and then you listen to a song that they've written that was a number one for another artist and then you can go check out that musician and find out oh they're pretty good you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh th- that that's a thing uh, so uh, co-writers will write the song and artists will either be involved with that song or they'll be introduced to the song by the publishers that have a shared interest in getting this song to an artist to cut, the artist will review the song, try it on, you know, like go over to the rack, put put it on, see if yeah. it looks as good in the mirror as it looked on the rack. Uh, if uh, if they if they cut it, that'll be a boon, and they may request um, a share of that publishing because artists have a hard time making money now that they you don't know, make money on record sales; they have to make money touring. COVID. Has mm-hmm. obviously put you know way much more than a dent in that, so that needs to be considered, and certainly in your interest to to consider it very well. <laughs> yeah, share it, and also the the artist might want to, um, it might want to change a word or two to make it mean more to them or represent them more. So, it's, it's so funny. I, yeah. I
1: think I mentioned it to you when we we're on the phone because I was trying to grapple with what it might be because. It's still, even though you've explained it, it's still shrouded in what feels there's a there's a good dose of secrecy going on. Like there's a machine oh, or whatever. Yeah, maybe I maybe mean, yeah. not. But it's no. funny how when you mentioned, when you talk about the process, how similar it is to to advertising. Right? When like your your description there is no different than what would happen. A client comes along. We right. need we need this type of idea song. Yeah. Let's go through, try it on. Yeah, we're liking it. Okay, you see potential in it. Let's. And it's it's it used to be just a. you know put an ad out there but now we're making products like i do Mm -hmm. interactive advertising so it's yeah that's what we want we want to have that let's have co-ownership it's it's funny how it is pretty much this sounds very similar business model
2: sure and it's in a quick the younger version of you would just kind of spit at it a little bit right of course Mm -hmm. um but when you realize oh this is a craft too you know and when Mm -hmm. we're talking about music on the Blarney pilgrims, we're talking about music and we're talking about music that is not a real cash cow for anybody. This is, (laughs) this is, this is, this is a deep (laughs) thing that when you're in, you're in. Um, But what we're having a conversation right now is about music business, right? And, and business is business. And if you can, I don't even think you have to blur your eyes, but it's a perspective thing to see like, Oh, well, this is a, this is a craft too and it took me a long time to get there because i it's an understatement for me to say that i had contempt for commercial song form when it was i was younger your ego. i mean yeah of course yeah right hard. right yes i had to get over myself and now i realize like actually this is very difficult and taking the shot is fun you know it's cool to see who i am here Let, you know i'm trying on clothes too right and mm-hmm. uh it's one thing when i'm in the garage in my happy place at eleven thirty, when my kid and my wife are inside sleeping and i'm playing my fiddle tunes just on my own in my garage for hours while i have a <sighs> beer or whatever um yeah. and and it's a different that's different from me kind of wanting to get in the trenches and Grinding my teeth in the car, trying to come up with lines that don't sound terrible, you know, and, and work within the idea. And there are, the deadlines are the deadlines are uh, pretty intense too. So
0: you 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 be um, are you coming up with lines that are good but not too good?
2: <laughs> no, no, no. Because the ones that are too
1: good. One
0: for
2: me, <laughs> one for you, one for no. One I you. I I wish it were that easy. But again, it's just like when the lines are good, the lines are good and they're undeniable. It's just a matter yeah. of whether you're yeah. kind of listening to it if you're driving cross country for the first time and you're in Kansas with the radio going like what the fuck is this? This is awful, you know? But when when you're in it, when you see the the rural ideal met at the festivals and the people that this music really speaks to. Um, it's it, there's there's a there's a symbiosis that's beautiful beyond what we can recognize as quality. With some of the outlaw guys, we all know Willie's great, right? You know that. You know Haggard's awesome. You can listen to that and go like, "Well, I do like country music, I guess." Well, it's the commercial uh, industry is different, but I. I what I would have shrugged my shoulders at 15 years ago now I have uh you know a respect for even if that's not what I'm going to do when I get a small budget to make a record um mm-hmm. or you know my songs are not going to be worth much but my spice within a co-write could be potential potentially Mm -hmm. that different spice that makes something that you've heard before a little bit different so that's where I consider myself to be uh valuable but I have a lot to prove I'm new very lucky it's a hard thing to get and I've worked years with the help of people that have believed in me to to get to have this opportunity so I'm really really excited about it and with that I I get to have my my band too and 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 have that as a as a co-interest to kind of Keep myself in the air as an artist because I do love to perform and I love to perform my songs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When when you talk about uh, that that you use the word rural oh I said air,
2: rural I think, ideal like that I yeah like rural
0: the, ideal right so so are you are you talking there about um, a rural ideal that you're creating the, the sort of things yeah. you're referencing I that grew song. up in a like small town
2: you know that kind of stuff <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just that idea Cold
0: yeah air, tractors that kind mm-hmm. of
2: stuff I mean yeah.
0: I grew up in a liberal <laughs> <laughs> left wing yeah, 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 yeah. household I actually <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I, I have a, an ongoing love of pop it's not something I listen to a lot but I just it's something I love dipping in oh, yeah. there are there's a few country numbers I, I, ju- I love putting myself in that character and I, when it's the the cold beer and the road home actually like Ed Sheeran I know is not an American but he has that one about oh, yeah. driving back yeah. home to see the boys like that it makes does. That's tear very up every time it's,
2: it's, it's bloody really brilliant
1: perfect. you know
0: it makes me tear up seriously and this is not a, this is not a joke if I see a neon sign when I was in the States like if I see a neon sign that says cold beer of which are the there government. are quite a few <laughs> that would just I, I, I want to get off the freeway I want to go to that sign Yeah, I don't know what it is about it's just Cold beer. There's something about cold beer in yeah. America. Also, it's it's very cold beer. <laughs> and very often so, very often the, it's really the
2: coldest beer in town. I don't know if you've seen those signs, but that, yeah, they say it's like the <laughs> yeah, coldest beer yeah. in town. You're like, hmm. Well, let's get scientific.
0: Okay, yeah. so so we've we've got small town, we've got cold beer. What else what else? What are your well, other like kind truck. of things <laughs> uh, you want to so, stitch in there?
2: Well, I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't really be thinking along those terms it's just that the colloquial language that you might use will often bump into those reoccurring themes because we're talking about agriculture we're talking about a very important aspect of an enormous country um, that that is often overlooked and um, and and so these yeah, these themes come up, and if you're not ready for them or you don't have your lens calibrated properly, it might make you wince, or you know. <laughs> but there's, but there's, there's people out there that want to be represented in a song or have songs resonate with their lifestyle, and that 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 might not yeah. happen with, um, you know, with a with a with a pop song quite as much. But yeah there's there's an audience for it it's it's not as big as the pop market you guys probably know that but it's still significant um here
1: yeah i always think of it as one of the biggest markets like it, I, it's it's up there with pop i like i always kind of put the two of them like well, pop is yep. pop it's popular but I think the Martin, for me in my mind, I always think of country being the behemoth that. Hey, a commercial there's country, this guy
2: yeah. I I'd yeah. never heard of him, but it's, there's an Australian guy. I did a I did some master session work for this guy Adam Brand. <laughs> Do you know Adam Brand in Australia? That name rings a bell. Uh, yeah, I I remember doing a bunch of stuff for him in a studio in Nashville, and, and somebody saying saying like, I was just like, oh yeah, he's a cool guy. That was fun, and he was like, he's really really huge in Australia, and I always wondered. I wonder if that's true.
0: <laughs> ah, well, there's a huge yeah, country mm-hmm. scene in mm-hmm. this country
1: that you don't get involved, you don't get exposed to, particularly down in, in Victoria where we are, when I lived up in Queensland, they have the gimpy muster every year, which I still want to get up to, which is a huge deal. Uh, it, it's Well, that is our Texas, Oh yeah, I suppose, uh, oh, um, Queensland. So really it's the north of our country. That's where all these stars, where Keith Urban came from, like that's, that's where the muster is it's that's proper yeah. cowboy mm-hmm. i it, said like it's it's 10 gallon hats and it's that's yeah the whole two yeah two is it two yards is that I the expression think, uh, ten. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty anyway, pretty deep in the, uh, that for 11
2: years much. living in nashville my wife and i and had a, a nice house in the east side of town and really enjoyed it uh uh there was a point maybe six years in if i look back when maybe the experiences were starting to to um double over themselves. Like I was looping. You know, and, and I it would have been a good time to stop <laughs> yeah. then. Because uh again, you know, crept back into my life. I was really distracting myself uh from some other callings that were really important. My relationship certainly was suffering a result of being away all the time. My wife also traveled for work. So um that became difficult to maintain though we we, you know, muscled through another couple of years doing that. Um, and you know we'd have these great meetups on the on the road, and some incredible things ha- happen as a result of all the travel that we'd get to experience. But it was weighing it was weighing heavy on our relationship. And 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 we had we'd wanted kids, sure. and it was definitely it was definitely not happening as, as a result of what we were doing for our our vocations. That being said, you know these are my deep brothers on the road, people that I loved. I loved every bit of it. There was very little that I didn't like. I liked sleeping on a tour bus. I liked airplanes. I liked hotels. I liked big stages. I liked the production. I liked the video. I liked the whole thing. I liked people handing me tune instruments on stage. I liked running around with a headset mic. I was into it. You know, uh,
1: it's a dream for a reason, like you've just described what we yeah, all secretly want. Yeah, to. yeah, And it was like that. deep down, if there's not anyone listening to this that hasn't had that dream, yeah. gone. Oh, I would, but I was surprised to, a to find for you know,
2: the ways in which it was limiting my experience after a certain amount of years, because I was deluded in, in thinking that this was somehow about me, you know. Uh, and you you didn't have to mm-hmm. do much more than book a gig in town to realize, you know, <laughs> book a gig with your trio. You know, and 20 people come here like, oh, that's right. I forgot I'm not famous. <laughs> sure, like, <Yeah. laughs> like nobody gives a shit about, me, yeah. you know, and in that during that time, yeah. I'm not cultivating other streams of revenue, which is really important as an artist. I'm not I'm not doing that. I, w- I was a natural writer, not writing. And my boss, you know, specifically Rodney Atkins would say it. You know, he'd be like, You you know, you're you should be doing more and you should be writing and you should be doing more master sessions and taking more risks and you know. And he threw me on a couple of bills and did some co-writes with me. It was really great, really inspiring. Um, but it just wasn't taking for some reason. I think I was just kinda caught up in it and I needed to be shaken out, and that happened. I mean my, my wife <laughs> and I became pregnant, you know, thank God. And um it started me on a course of really having to rip a very difficult needle out. Those were some Real tough years of my uh, my life, and I went out in a very strange way. And I'll just explain one very bizarre story at the end of my time with Rodney, where we had we were playing a gig in Soho with some benefit um, for Cole, the designers, of, uh, Kenneth Cole, at his store, and John Bon Jovi was there, and I, I knew I was going to have to leave and we were plotting how that was going to look we were talking to realtors about selling our house in nashville moving to north carolina where we had a large network of family to help and 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 really Mm -hmm. that we wanted and chose each other and really wanted to be together and um so the time we were trying to figure out how that was going to work um this thing happened where john bon jovi from bon jovi was at one of our shows and for whatever reason, it was just it was just Rodney and I and his wife. And he took a shine to me. He found me in the dressing room or in the basement of this place. And he came up to me and my wife standing there with me. And he says, "Man, he's like, you're a great player, actually." He said, "He's like, you're a motherfucker. Do you wanna, you wanna go out to dinner?" So we <sighs> went out to dinner with him. My boss went and Kenneth Cole went. and We were sitting at this dinner. Um and again, I'm not telling this story to name drop. I'm telling it because it it it's a window into the odd situations you find yourself in when you're with someone who breathes the air up there and and so we're mm-hmm. you know we're having dinner and and talking and relating and whatever uh we all go our separate ways memorable night that was cool I was a Bon Jovi fan when I was in seventh grade um i I got a call a few weeks later from the manager of Bon Jovi and saying, hey, uh, John was interested in your playing, and he's looking at kind of putting some fiddle into the live act and some more guitar and piano and your multi-instrumentalist thing, and would you be interested in doing that? And, of course, I was like, "Uh, yeah, I want to do that. So they had arranged a meeting for me the next day in Nashville, Um, But I got called out, and I couldn't... They had asked me not to share it with Rodney because it's considered poaching, and it was something I was very conflicted about, and I didn't tell him, Mm -hmm. and I should have. And the... A a few weeks later, um, they flew me up to New York at Avatar Studios where they were recording their last record that they released, and I went in and played with the band for a day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm in there like playing yeah. with bon jovi like singing all of richie sambor's parts and wanted dead or alive you know in a booth looking at john Crazy. for his mouth movement you know it was really out there and uh
1: i was only listening to slippery when wet last week um, but go on
2: so uh i i went you know i i did the whole audition he said to you like do you, can you do this Um, he goes, I know you can do it, but I mean, can you, can you able, is this right for you to leave the band? I said, oh, I think it might be right for me because I need a change and this, that, and this, that. And at the elevator saying goodbye, he stands in front of me, um, and he puts his hand on my shoulder. He said, listen, I'm not going to audition anybody else. All right. Um, give me a call on, I'll call you on Wednesday and I'll give you the money and, and, um, and we'll go from there. And I got on the elevator in a daze, and I was you know limo to the airport where I got on a plane to go meet the rest of Rodney's band We were playing in l a that night, and i couldn't tell anybody and What I would have loved to tell myself uh then was that I would never hear from him again, and that was the reality of what that world could mean a lifetime of being there meant strange things would happen there would be ups and downs but security wouldn't really come so there were there was a month of waiting and back and forth with the manager Um, and in the end of it they decided not to go on tour they put off the tour from uh, for over a year year and a half and when they did go out they went out with their Mm -hmm. guitar player um, Felix who they were with before I got there. So that was something that helped me leave because this would be great. I can give my notice and, um, uh, and we can go to Hickory and I can do this gig from there. And it feels like such a big up. And, uh, the reality was that that didn't happen. I did give my notice. I did leave the band and I was in a classroom after four days after my last gig with Ronnie, which was at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> On a Friday and on a Tuesday, I started teaching um, performing arts at uh, an international school, at a secondary school here in Hickory, uh, and I was just standing in for a a year, so I was teaching again, and that was hard. It was hard because my identity took a huge, uh, it took a hit when maybe it shouldn't have, and now I look back and it was the best, best decision that I've ever made or that was made for me <laughs> Liam, thank yeah. you
1: so much for sharing that and thank you for giving us all this time and great stories it was a bloody great chat it's been really uh
0: yeah thank you guys
2: uh I, i'm sure it's been just a very long conversation um it, i uh, doesn't feel that well, way. no uh, oh go ahead
1: do you think we could have a uh a Absolutely. song or a tune um, if, if, if if you don't have one top of mind, I'm gonna remind you of Dom's request. Oh yeah, because <laughs> I know he's too he was too I polite do, to do that.
2: Maybe I could, uh, maybe I'll just uh, do that. Yeah. You can do and whatever then you I'll, want, yes. Yeah. And I'll we can, chop, a, out, we can chop out can chop media out saying but, that. Uh, yeah, I think we're saying goodbye here. So I just want to tell you guys how much I appreciate what you do. Uh, it's a it's a it's a bright light in my week when it shows up. You know, very often I may be driving somewhere it's like I hit it first it's the first thing I hit it's just and if I don't make it all the way through every second I have it's just like I leave it set hit the button on my earphones and it cranks up again I don't know what the secret sauce is but uh the conversation is uh is is a safe place for me and I am just over the moon that I was able to come on and actually talk to you guys personally it's like a a little bit of a dream so thank you
1: I mean that's oh. so nice to hear thank Made you me all doughy eyes <laughs> you need like a guitar and Okay, and now I'm going to do the
2: banjo for 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> just for you just for me uh, yeah the uh, that I learned this from Bill Videre, uh who ran uh, runs a session in Nashville, that I wasn't able to go to much, um, but they would always play this, and I was like, "What is this a tune uh, and it was Lucy Fars. I would go in there, I think, as we all did, um, and you know bring the little recorder, the little voice note recorder that maybe you know a doctor or something would use, and I'd record the sessions and learn tunes off of them that's that's how I first got into it and, and now, of course, like. Mm. I wish I could go to more sessions. Uh, It's a drive to Asheville, busy with the family and work and stuff like that. But I'll, I'll, I'm thinking actually uh, now that I have a few friends here that I'm playing Irish music with, we'd like to start one and see who we might be able to bring in and get interested in it, you know? And yeah, this is a perfect example of a tune. It's a great way. Um, A lot of these tunes people can play. You don't need to know a whole much of, you know, a lot about an instrument. Um, But uh, I don't know if you guys are in do you guys know this the app the amazing slower downer app it's mm, so good so good the the loop feature when you're learning tunes it's really really it's yeah. amazing and and now that I look at the way I was first learning tunes it, it, it seems like well I don't know how I was ever going to figure out how to do ornaments I've never had a lesson on any of the instruments that I'm playing tonight so um, the only way for me to figure this stuff out was to slow it down and to hear it and then emulate that in the way that came out, you know, and and so,
1: that's it boggles my mind when you speak to when I speak to older players and they talk about slowing the record down. And in my mind, I'm like, but then it's in the wrong key, you man. Couldn't, like, how are you, you doing that? I mean,
2: this stuff is so fast. I don't know how you <laughs> yeah. ever it's find like a some way superhuman in, strength. You know? take me a second to figure that out. I can't stay here on this mountain There's a world out there to see And I don't know but how I wonder What is waiting there for me And I fear you would not follow If I wander from this land I think you told me not to gamble So I hope you understand Would you leave behind the 99 to find me? If I quit you, if I slip you, if I ditch you, would you come and find me? Lord, will you come and find me? I don't care to try and tease you Make you play my selfish game No, I'd much rather that it please you If I take your name in fame I disobey you so you'll see me So I stand out from your crowd I hope I have your full attention Can't you see that I am proud? Would you leave behind the 99 to find me if I quit you, if I slip you, and if I ditch you, would you come and find me? Lord, will you come and find me? slip you and if I ditch you would you come and find me Would you leave behind the 99 to find me if I quit you if I slip you and if I ditch you would you come and find me Lord will you come and find me huh. How's the it.
1: Liam, thanks so much, man. Look, the last thing that I need to do is just find out where we can send people to, um, to get your music, follow follow what you do, all that kind of stuff. So oh, where, where yeah. are the best well, places? Well, I think
2: um, place where I have some albums and some vinyl, My, my the project that I'm most proud of is the, the Two Bird Stone. I mean, you can type the words Two Bird Stone into Spotify or, um, or Apple, and they'll come up there. Um, those are numbers they love to see whether you're streaming or whether you're buying it. And then if uh on directly to me would be um merch and CDs and stuff like that. On my website you can go to ww. dot com or Liam dot com and uh those all kind of go to the same place.
1: Uh, and as always i'll have all that stuff if you're looking for those links there down below in the show notes
2: lean thanks man, guys, so much man that was awesome i really awesome. appreciate it thank time. you
0: liam bailey legend ah lovely i i the, that video of him he has a single uh on youtube where he's cycling around what looks to me like my dream image of of one of the carolinas with you you can see in the background these lovely flat wetlands going off into the distance. So gorgeous. Yeah. I've always wanted to go to that place. A big
1: regret that I've never actually been there. So, mm. But that was brilliant. Thank you, Liam. It's so funny. Anytime I speak to someone from North Carolina, I always ask them where they're from. And it's purely because I want to know how far away from where my banjo was born. Ah, right, right. I've right, got a Pisgah right. banjo from North Carolina. And I, like, that's how much I love that inanimate object. <laughs> I ask people, whereabouts? I wonder if you know my banjo. Um, I don't know my banjo's people. (laughs) (laughs) My banjo grew up around there.
0: I was just thinking about the birds, the birds of North Carolina. Yeah. So
1: anyway. Thank you so much, Liam. That was an absolute pleasure. Yeah.
0: Um, To everyone who has gone over to patreon.com forward slash blarneypilgrims to become a patron. Thank you. If you haven't done that, get over there, join the heavenly throng (laughs) and you will be richly rewarded by just knowing that... You're keeping us going for a few more episodes, so and that's really kinda of where we're at. So yeah. that's really brilliant. Thanks to everybody who's done it and if you can do it this week, go
1: for it. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> I was thinking, just when you were saying that I was thinking about maybe we should start pitching it like a timeshare. Sorry, Governor. can I interest you in the timeshare in the Blonde Pilgrim's podcast. <laughs> just two dollars a week. You're gonna be a owner listening every week maybe I shouldn't do there's no sense.
0: there's no exclusion there's no exclusion periods you can listen anytime Yeah. Right. there's no t- no time you don't have to book with these other people and say oh, no no the the McCann's have got it for three weeks Yeah. So,
1: yeah. I, as I was even saying that but I was thinking hang on that's pretty niche I was talking about what happens when you're on holidays in like Mallorca
0: have you ever been in a timeshare freebie thing no I've, I've, I've been, been,
1: been with my parents on the street many times
0: I've been on a couple of timeshare freebies where you go and you get to stay for a weekend <sighs> yeah. and then you have to go to the pitching thing Um in vancouver uh, not, in british columbia i, I went with uh, my wife at the time and our daughter who was about eight and we took our daughter into the pitching session with us and there was this fella who was doing the spiel and god you know god bless him he i mean it was it was like your dog would have been more likely to sign up for <laughs> to sign up for a for yeah. It just wasn't going to happen. We were there for a free weekend. Now, you would have thought that he would have written this off pretty early, but he stuck it out till the sweat was coming on his, on his top lip. He <sighs> was like, he was, it, it, it was, it was, te- so like the, the human being in me, right? Of course, I'm, I'm watching this guy and I'm thinking, God, he's trying to make his commission. And I really felt for him. But then also I was like, we
1: have no money that was probably stunt sweat to and and spray it was, on it like, was actually that's all part of the game
0: and he he uh at one point our daughter spilt a thing of orange juice all over the table just as he was getting into his pitch so he had to go and clean that up it was a masterstroke she, she just broke his stride Delicious. at every turn you yeah. know like she started scribbling on his papers and of course he can't get angry with the kids
1: right because he's going to he, lose the sale
0: yeah, he was it's never going to get in the first place. It was you would have loved it.
1: Yeah. It was excruciating. I'm enjoying even absolutely telling you. Absolutely
0: <laughs> excruciating for the fella, yeah. um, and eventually we got out of there. Um, and a free weekend having, out of it. Yeah, it was yeah. brilliant. It was brilliant. So anyway, that this is your equivalent equivalent of a timeshare. You just have to listen to us at the end, and sometimes at the beginning, I'm asking you to go to Patreon.com/slash Blarney Pilgrims, and pitch in to keep us going. So.
1: All right, we'll catch you next week with a couple of really exciting guests coming up, too. Yeah. So uh, it's getting near the silly time of the year, so look forward to seeing you next week. Yeah. And thanks again, Liam Billy. Bye bye. Hi,
3: my name is Yet Please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.